So I'm going to ask you to please stand to your feet and welcome onto the stage Pastor Byron Chicken, the bishop. Good morning, everybody. Hello. You all alive and kicking? Stay standing, stay standing just for a moment. Just for a moment. Thank you, Jace. I appreciate that welcome so much. Um, I want to take a moment and just say, firstly, what a joy and a privilege it is to be with you at Legacy Church. What a beautiful church you are. What a beautiful congregation. What a beautiful expression of our country. What a beautiful facility and cafe and connection area. And what beautiful people serving all around the show. They really are. And, and the worship team, you guys, that little jam that was going on while Racer was getting ripped by Pastor Jace was, was just beautiful. Uh, you're a beautiful church. And there's nothing quite like the local church when it's working right. And this church is working right. And I just want to take a moment and, and say to you, uh, Jason, Sue, in her absence, you have a tremendous, incredible pastors. You really, really do. I mean this. You... Jason's friendship is one of the great gifts in my life. Uh, I hope you know that. Um, we, we have a level of vulnerability with each other, which, uh, which only a few people in the world can share. And apart from that, he is one of the most devoted followers of Jesus. And uh, you're building something special here, church. I hope you know that. Uh, and may you continue to grow from strength to strength as you build Jesus' church with him. And we get the privilege and the joy of being his church and co-laboring with him in this mysterious, amazing thing called the local church. And you know, God doesn't have a plan B for the redemption of our world. Isn't that um, somewhat sobering? Uh, the, just, I mean, look at the muhu next to you right now, and they are God's plan A. God's plan A. If you're single in the room and you'd like to get married, the connect area after the service <laughs> is for you, and Irwin will be there to facilitate all of that going on. <laughs> There'll be Lebola. Should we take a moment and pray? Uh, we, don't, we don't pray in these moments out of some sense of ritual or tradition. We pray because it's in these moments that we, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've really, really, I come to church, Jesus, I need to hear from you. I want you to shape me. I want you to form me. I want to, I want to worship you in more spirit and in more truth each week. I want you to take my mind captive. I want you to arrest my attention. I want you to form me into the likeness of Jesus. I want to learn to be with you, become like you, and do what he did. So we, don't, we haven't come here out of ritual or tradition. We don't pray out of that. We pray to say, Lord, in these moments, take our hearts and take our minds. Would you stretch your hands to heaven or put your hand on your heart? Or if you, if you come with a husband or wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend, or if there's somebody next to you that you quite like the look of, just grab their hand and just say, Father, here we are. Lead us, shape us, mold us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you. Have a seat, everybody. Uh, it is a privilege to kick off your new series called Generosity. Uh, you're going to be diving into this characteristic of Jesus. And I do want to anchor the series there and say that we're talking about generosity, not because the church is trying to manipulate money out of you, but because Jesus was generous. And if we're learning to become like Jesus, be with Him, become like Him, and do what He did, then we need to do the things that Jesus did. And that is to learn generosity. 
generosity is one of the great blessings of life. And immediately as we men, even mention the word generosity, depending upon where you and I have come from and our perceptions and our upbringing and our parenting and all the rest of it, we may immediately kind of put a little bit of a, a mental defensive mechanism up to go, you know what, nobody is going to manipulate or preach money out of me. I'm not here to preach money out of you today. I am here to invite you into one of the great blessings of being a follower of Jesus, and that is to learn to walk in His ways when it comes to generosity, because Jesus was the ultimate example of generosity. And so uh, if I was to subtitle today a little bit, you know, the series is Generosity, maybe what I could call today's message is Rands and Cents, Cents with a S-E-N-S-E, Rands and Cents a biblical perspective on money. And uh, I hope that I can offer you a few thoughts today that might just set the scene for what you're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And, and my aim and my goal is to teach this morning. It's not to preach. Um, it's to teach. I think there's moments in our church life where, where we need to preach. And then there's series and topics that require more teaching because it's the Word of God that shapes our minds and, sh and renews our minds. And so I'm praying that God's Word uh, would shape your mind and my mind today as we seek to become more like Jesus. Rands and sense. How to employ some sense, some biblical sense when it comes to money. And let me start off by telling you a story of a lady called Jeanette and a, a security guard called Henry. Sorry, her name was Sandra. Sandra and the security guard called Henry, true story, happened in America, I read about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Sandra had gone to the mall and done some shopping, and what she'd intended to do was to go from her shopping, back home, drop off the groceries, and then go straight to the licensing department to get her license renewed. How many of you know that that can be a trauma in and of itself? <sighs> Benoni Home Affairs, Boxburg Home Affairs, Jesus help me. <laughs> I, I gird my loins for weeks before I approach those hallowed halls of inefficiency and ineptitude. Are you okay to be my psychologist today? Is that okay if I just offload a little of my own PTSD? Is that okay? Anyway, I'm from Benoni, and um, the surname, by the way, is real. Can we just take a moment and settle this? It's real. Um, it's Scottish. Are there any Scots people in the house? Because I'm about to blame you for my surname. <laughs> and you would have seen from the, the picture, I, I married Kans. Kans is the lady I'm married to. And uh, she has, comes from a very proud Lebanese tradition. And in my youthful vigor, I fought with her about taking my surname. I'm like, no, you will take, I'm the guy, you will take my surname. What a douche. What a complete, complete toss. If I was to do that again, I would just let the woman keep her name, man. I mean, who wants to take a surname like chicken? Honestly. I mean, going to home affairs and changing it to chicken. Right? It's a trauma. And we were somewhat worried about how our kids would go through this because my, my schooling was rough. Grade one, Bit of grade two until people get used to it. And I attended school at Kenridge Primary. I grew up in Durbanville, just around the corner. It's rough as you get further north. You know, the southern suburbs are decidedly genteel and, and quiet and rustic. But as you go north, Durbanville, Belleville, things get worse. <laughs> and uh, my schooling was traumatic in grade one and grade two. And then uh, they settle. And then, of course, you get to high school. 
And then you've got to explain it all again in grade eight. And then, of course, you get to university and there's stories. But anyway, that's a story for another day. And uh, in fact, I'll be at the connect area to offload anything. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, S Sandra and Henry. She'd, she'd gone to, she was fully intending to go and get her license renewed. What she'd done is she'd taken with her certain documentation, important documentation, and 1,300 bucks in cash. And that was with her, and she'd put it in the trolley as she was offloading her groceries. Well, the problem was uh, she offloaded the groceries but forgot that in the trolley. Anyway, she gets home. She just made herself a cup of tea. She hasn't even realized that there's anything missing yet. She gets a call on her mobile phone, and it's from a number that she doesn't know, but she's one of the few people in our country that if there's an unknown number, she will pick up. She did pick up. And she answered the phone, and it was Henry, the security guard, the guy who had helped her with the trolley. And he said to her, I just wanted to let you know, you left 1,300 Rand in cash, and your licensing documentation in the trolley. I have it here for you. I'll keep it safe. Would you care to swing back past the mall sometime and pick it up? I'll meet you at the same entrance that we were at previously. She was completely blown away. I mean, how many of you know that if, if you're a, a guy who's helping out with trolleys, 1300 bucks would come in pretty life-changing amount of money for you? But he kept it. He was so incredibly honest. And she went back, got it from him, rewarded him handsomely for his, his kindness and his honesty and sailed off into the sunset, and she was able to tell a good story about money. And today, what my heart and my posture towards this message is that I, my, my prayer is that you and I, we would be able to become people that can tell good stories about money, that money can be a source of good storiness in our lives. Are you with me? So what I want to do is I want to offer us just six perspectives uh, on money that I see from Scripture Six worldviews, if you like, on Scripture. Because we think about money a lot, we work for money a lot, we stress about money a lot, we wonder about money a lot, we save money a lot when we've got big things coming up, we try and save money a lot, we spend a lot of money, we spend money a lot on grudge purchases, things that we don't want to do. Like in Joburg, if you pay rates and taxes, that's a grudge purchase. You... You, you don't part with that money happily, right? There are things in our lives we don't part money happily with. But our relationship with money, friends, it's not something that we can just um, brush aside or compartmentalize. I want to say to us today that our, our the relationship with money is fundamental to our discipleship. We can't disintegrate our finance from the rest of our discipleship of Jesus. Money is vitally important in, in and on our faith journey. And the reason I say that to you is because we've got evidence of this from the Scriptures with just how much of Scripture deals with money, and more specifically, just how many of Jesus' words deal with money. Did you know that 16 out of 38 parables that of Jesus' deal with money and possessions. Can you believe it? 16 out of 38. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship, looking after things. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money. That's a tithe. Uh, it just hit me as I was preparing for this. A tithe of the verses in the Gospels deal with money. How ironic is that? Um, there are more than 2,000 scriptures in the Bible on money, possessions, and tithing in, in totality, which is twice as many as both faith and prayer combined. So although you and I sometimes, and listen, I'm, I'm definitely like this. When things are not going well financially, I want to put my head in the sand like an ostrich and just pretend that the thing doesn't exist. 
but it does and it never goes away. Jesus knew that and so he was kind and gracious to give the wisdom. And this is what I want you to grasp today. The wisdom of heaven is deposited into the scriptures for us to grab a hold of to learn and to apply in our lives. And as we do so, money will become a good news story. Can you say amen to that today? So six perspectives on a biblical understanding of money. Number one is that you and I, we are supposed to, friends, we are supposed to be herders, not hoarders. And by that I mean that we are biblically under a mandate to be caretakers of our finance and our resource. Uh, years ago, our family went to a little uh, resort called Umgazi on, in the Eastern Cape, the Wild Coast. And uh, it's got the most magnificent beaches. And as you head from the resort to the beach, you've got to cross a little river and there's a boatman who takes you across the river. And as he does so, what greets you on the other side is just this herd of magnificent Nguni cows. Hey, look at those things. I mean, they are just unbelievably beautiful and valuable. That's what African culture has in mind when we talk about Lebola. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not, there's a reason Oaks wanted those cows. Those things make good steak. <laughs> and milk and all the rest. Anyway, so the, as we noticed the cows, we noticed a, in, in the distance a guy walking along, and he was just ambling and kind of walking, but, but I noticed his gaze. His gaze was surveying the cows the whole time, and what he was doing, we later spoke to him, he was counting, constantly counting the cows. Why? Because he was a herder. His job was to look after and to take care of and to be a caretaker of uh, the cows, which somebody else owned. The Scripture tells us in Psalm 50, verse 10, that all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, friends, and all who live in it. What's the point? It's all His, and our salary every month is on loan from Him to us. Kindly, graciously, the grace of God, that we have resource, and He trusts our wisdom and our followership of Christ to then distribute those resources. If you and I can settle the question of ownership, I, I want to suggest to you, church, that I think this question of, of ownership of money, who ultimately owns it, is I think one of the major, major speed bumps for us to get over in our followership of Jesus. I think it's one of the largest impediments to us becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus is this question of our money and who owns it. It sounds easy to preach it. It sounds even easy to receive it. It's a quite another thing to apply it uh, on the 25th on payday to say, Lord, you own this. Now, how do you want me to herd it? How do you want me to deploy it? We had like close-up experience of this recently. Uh, on Friday afternoons, my, my kids, when I pick them up, Friday afternoons, like pick-up afternoon for me. And uh, we go to McDonald's, and like a McFlurry is like the thing for them. Most, most of McDonald's I can pass up pretty easily, but McFlurries, I think, were designed in heaven and imported by McDonald's. McFlurries are just lacquer. 
And um, anyway, so my kids know this, and, and they normally go for McFlurries. But on this day, Caleb, my, uh, our son, he's just turned 10, he, he ordered one of these, these fries, McDonald's fries, you know. And uh, you know, when you go to McDonald's, look, I'm not even sure what these things are made out of. I'm not sure if they're potato or if it's genetically engineered or what it is. If you work for McDonald's, I, I just want to love you in this moment and not, not you know, diss your, diss your business. But I, I don't know what it's made of. All I know is that it smells like the throne room of heaven because they're hot and crispy. And then he opens the tomato sauce, the ketchup, and he puts it on and it's just, can you smell it right now? Anybody going to take a quick little visit down the road after this? Anyway, so Caleb, uh, Caleb, he's tucking in, and, and they're smelling good, and I said, I couldn't, couldn't resist anymore. I couldn't stand it anymore. I said to him, Caleb, can I, can I have a few chips? And he, he kind of looks at me, he goes, well, how many do you want? <laughs> so <laughs> I said to him, just, you know, as many as it takes to satisfy this craving, and he wasn't happy. I put my hand in, and he watched me with a beady eye as my hand went in, and how many I came out, and his, his face fell when he saw that I had a handful, you know? And I had to, I thought, here's a teaching moment right now. KB, I said, let's talk about the biblical principles of ownership right now. I said to him, whose resources bought those chips? Because in our house, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own the McFlurries, are you with it, you know? And I explained to him that I'd been kind and generous to buy. And, and could he, you know, it was an inter interesting tithing. And I, could you just give some back? We, get, we're, we're, we're treat our money a little bit like the French fries, like our son Caleb. And God goes, would you, would you give a little bit back? And we go, but it's mine. Can you say amen? Yep. Number two, uh, second principle is that I think money is a little bit of what I want to call for today a faith Fitbit. A faith Fitbit. In other words, it takes a gauge of how our heart is doing. You know, you measure your heart rate on a Fitbit. Well, I think our spiritual heart rate is measured by our treatment of money. Went to Diskim the other day for a quick medical for an insurance thing, and they put the blood pressure um, strap over your arm, and they pump it, and then it kind of squeezes your arm really, really hard, and then as it relaxes, they're able to take... Your, your, heart, uh, your blood pressure. And uh, I think money is like that as well. It's only when pressure is applied that our real blood pressure when it comes to uh, money and our followership of Jesus is revealed. Uh, sometimes when the pressure is on, that's when it really, really counts. And that's when uh, our heart towards money is revealed. Matthew 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you can't serve God and money. And so what we do with our money, friends, tells us how much our hearts love Jesus and trust God. It's like as simple and as blunt as that. What we do with our money says how much we love God and how much we trust Him. It just is. Third perspective is that worship and wealth, they have an interesting relationship. They're like Siamese twins. They're connected at the heart. Worship and wealth are connected. You know, Siamese twins are normally connected at the back, most of them. These Siamese twins, worship and wealth, they are connected at the heart. They're connected at our hearts. In other words, 
our hearts can either worship wealth or our hearts can worship with our wealth. But there isn't the room for both. You can't separate them. When it comes to money, we'll either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. That, that's why I love the way you structured your service because there's an opportunity to, to be generous, to give. Tithes and offerings follows worship because it's an extension of worship. In our family, we, we say it, and in, in our staff, we teach our staff that we give in every church service. The reason is because when I come into the service, I don't just want to uh, worship God with my mouth. I don't want just, just to bring my mind before Him. I don't simply want to bring my heart before Him as well. I want to bring everything in my disposal, everything under my purview to God, everything that I have jurisdiction over, everything that I have a mandate over, everything that I have some measure of control over, I want to bring it to Him in that service too. Are you with me? Which includes, most importantly, my money because the, my money is where the rubber hits the road in my life. And so that's why I, I want to encourage you to give in every church service because we're bringing our whole lives. Our church, it's a discipleship. I think so many Christ followers, we get this wrong. Maybe this is a perspective that I hope you'll just catch from me a little bit today, is that money is not about money. It's not even about giving. It's about discipleship. It's about a well-rounded followership of Jesus. Are you with me? Think of your money or think of your life. Think of your following of Jesus as a, as a pie. Picture like a nice pecan pie at Mug and Bean. One of those things where they, they, they cut it and there's like hundreds of pecan pies stuffed into that thing. And you just tackle it and it takes you ages to, and then it's sticky and lacquer and yummy and toffee. And ooh, think of that. Okay. Can you tell that I love food? I have, I love food. Food is a problem. Um, some of you are thinking about your Sunday lunch now. Can you just hang with me just for another 10? Picture your life like a pie. Our following of Jesus is a pie. We have slices in that pie. We've got our, uh, our, our, our engagement with Scripture, silence, solitude, our service, our Sabbath. I love what you're doing, 40 days of making space. I mean, how one, 40 days of simplicity. What a beautiful concept. I'm like, why did I not think of that? I'm going to copy it immediately next week. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, we've got these segments in our lives, uh, service to the poor, uh, how we treat people, our love of our neighbor, as you see on the, the walls. And, and when we somehow think that, that money doesn't fit, money doesn't have a slice of the pie, I want to suggest to you that money has a major slice of the pie. The reason for that is money many times holds the key to our heart. Show me your budget, I'll show you what you love. Number four is that uh, cash is not the main concern. Money is not the problem. Greed is. It's the love of money that's the problem. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money, it's the love of money. It's not, it's not money. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. I, I think as Christ followers, we've got something powerful to offer the world. Uh, I, I, what, I heard this phrase coined at Willow Creek Church years ago, compassionate capitalism. I think, can you imagine with me a world where we did, nobody pursued socialism? Because that's actually not what the early church was pursuing. It, it wasn't socialism, it was a meeting of needs. Imagine we didn't pursue a socialism a st economic framework, but imagine we pursued capitalism. 
Uh, capitalism in the sense that every business owner, every entrepreneur, every person gainfully employed should be free, free from government regulation, fully free politically and economically to make as much money as they can. If you're a business owner here, I think you should be able to and should be free from as much regulation and red tape as possible to make as much cash as possible, not only to service the needs of your business, not only to, to, um, to, to do well out of the business, to, be, to become wealthy, to become crazy wealthy to become ridiculously wealthy. Can you imagine a world where, where we passionately pursued capitalism, but that then Christ followers reined it in a little bit, and, and, and every Christ follower had as their goal not to become rich, certainly to live in abundance, certainly to live in more than enough, but to live in a space, to live in a theology that says, let me change the world around me with my resource. Let me take my finance and deploy it, not simply for the accumulation of more and more and more and more, but at some stage, to cap my lifestyle and then to deploy the rest of my resource for the benefit of our planet and to serve the poor and to lift them out of poverty. Can you imagine a world like that? You see, it's not money that's the problem. We should make as much of it as we can. We should pay as little tax as legally possible. We should do the things. It's the love of it that's the problem. It's the love of it. It's a little bit like... Um, Schmiegel and Gollum. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Yes. Some of you are too young to even know, like, what's Lord of the Rings? Like, like what is that? Uh, Schmiegel and Gollum. So, Schmiegel turned into Gollum when what happened? When he found the ring. He was obsessed by the ring. And he, what did he call it? Anybody want to take me up on this offer? What did he, what did he say? My, yeah. So much better than the 845 service. You should have checked the 845. I mean, they're uneducated, but like really base human beings. <laughs> like I highly recommend you keep coming to the 1030. Because honestly, to mix with that crowd would just not, not be good for your faith. <laughs> oh, yeah. My precious. And it's this greed that overtook him. And all, I guess what I'm saying is that, that greed knocks at our door, each one of us. Hey, listen, <laughs> we're all in the same boat. There isn't a single one of us that doesn't have greed constantly knock at our door and go, you want more, you need more, you should have more, do whatever you can to get more. I'm a provisional taxpayer. There comes that twice a year thing where I have to pay provisional tax. That is an absolute exercise in spiritual discipline for me. Because I'm like, how can I pay you as little as possible? You know, guy. We're not immune to it. We've all got, the thing is greed is like a ravenous wolf and it knocks at the door of our lives. And he has an insatiable appetite. He can never, ever be fed enough. Once you start feeding that wolf, he will eat for the rest of the... This is one of the problems in our, in our country is that once people have tasted, had a taste of, of that, it can, it can, it's very hard to go backwards from there. So you and I have just got to guard against that. Hey? Number five is wisdom is what we really need. 
Wisdom is what we really need. It's, it's not so much more money. I mean, more money is helpful. It's nice. It's incredibly constructive to have more money. But unless wisdom is accompanied by more money, look at what Ezekiel 28 4 says. With your wisdom and with understanding, you have amassed great wealth. There's an exceedingly important, important principle here. If you're going to take one note today, I think this is the one you want to take. With your wisdom and understanding, you've amassed great wealth, gold and silver for your treasuries. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. Wisdom follows, uh, wealth follows wisdom. Wealth follows wisdom, not the other way around. Are you with me? In other words, where there's wisdom, wealth will follow. It's the reason why the the stats are that 70% of all lottery winners, did you know that, end up bankrupt or filing for bankruptcy again. The problem is, I mean, they've got all the money in the world now. 70% of them go bankrupt shortly thereafter. It's because unless the increase in your bank balance is accompanied by an increase in wisdom, we're always going to not have enough. So we need the wisdom. And, and did you know that James 1 verse 5, it won't be on the screen, but it's such a helpful scripture in my life. It just, I love James. He's so direct. He's just so helpful. He just says, if you need wisdom, ask God. And what will he do? He'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. He'll, he'll give it to you. If you need wisdom, friends, just ask him. God loves to give good gifts to us. Hey, are you all still tracking? All okay? Number six, we each decide our investment destination. We each decide our investment destination. In other words, we each decide where we're going to invest. What, by, by that I mean there's a, there's a choice. There's, a, there's an A or a B. We can choose to invest earthly things or heavenly things. That's why Jesus says this. Look, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. I was watching the Queen's funeral the other day. Uh, anybody watch the Queen's funeral? Just have a look at this. It was quite a thing actually. You know, the British people really do pomp and ceremony well, don't they? Like it was just a display of, of, of unbelievable grandeur. It, like the, just the level of wealth on display there was incredible. And they were honoring the queen and, and it's important for them to do that. So that's not what I'm saying. That, that was a beautiful display. What I did think though, as I was watching that is my word. At the end of the day, like this is the brutal reality. At the end of the day, she goes into a coffin just like the rest of us. And you know when they were lowering her down into like the crypt, I was thinking, none of that stuff could come with. None of that stuff could come with. So here's the thing. We can't bring it with us but we can invest for our eternity. What I, what I mean by that is you and I, depending on how we deploy our resources here, we can shape our eternity. That's what Jesus is saying, is store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Invest, invest for your eternity. Because you can't take any of it here. So at best, you've got a 70 to 80, 90 year time horizon to your investment. Whereas eternity, you can shape your whole eternity through how you deal with your money here on earth. 
And so on the one hand, it's sobering to realize we can't take anything with us. On the other hand, it's incredibly good news to realize that you and I can use our money right now to shape eternity. I was saying to the first of us, can you imagine the stand camp? Yes, what a, I mean, what a thing that's been in our group of churches over the last few, uh, over many years. Can you imagine you get to the pearly gates one day? And I don't know how the pearly gates are all going to look and work and all that kind of stuff. That, that's beyond my scope of expertise. But can you imagine that as you enter, however this entrance thing looks, there's a person standing there straight ahead of you with their eyes and their gaze firmly locked on you. And they walk, up to them, they walk up to you and they introduce themselves and they say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I just want you to know that I attended Stand Camp 2023. And thank you for sponsoring me at Stand Camp 2023. That's what I'm talking about really practically when I, I'm talking about how we can shape our eternities. We get to shape our eternity not only for our, our own lives, but for other people's lives. It's worth investing in, isn't it? Quick recap. Are you up for that? Number one, we're herders, not hoarders. We look after it on his behalf. If you can enter the season of generosity and the series on generosity, settling the ownership question, and then saying to God, let the chips fall where they may with regards to my life financially. But God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, including my salary. How do you want me to honor you with my money? Number two, faith is a, money is a faith fitbit. What we do with our money shows how much our heart loves Jesus and trusts God. Thirdly, that worship and wealth go together. They're joined at the heart. They're joined in our heart. They can't be separated in our hearts. Cash is not the main problem. It's greed that the issue is. It's greed that you and I need to guard against. And wisdom is really what we need. More money is wonderful, but unless it's accompanied with more wisdom, and we can ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 is an amazing promise. And number six, we decide our investment destination. We can decide. We can't take anything with us, but we can decide how our eternity is going to be shaped. Are you all with me? Are you receiving something today? We take a moment and pray. Come, let's do that. You know, I just think it's such a beautiful moment that you, you're kind of launching into this series on generosity. And, and I, I think... If, if you and I are wise, we'll view this as an opportunity for Jesus to shape us in amazing ways. We'll view it as an opportunity for Jesus to really, 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 really take our followership of Him to another level. And I want to ask, could we take a moment and just let's consecrate ourselves, you know? Consecrate means to, to, to set ourselves apart, really to dedicate ourselves afresh to. And I, I think at the beginning of this series, it's a wonderful moment for you and I to dedicate ourselves to God. Again, afresh, with fresh eyes, fresh hearts, new, new, new dreams, new desires for what God wants to do in us and through us this year. I also believe that God's going to call people in this second service to unbelievable levels of financial significance. God's got something on some of your lives that He's going to unlock quite powerfully, actually, through this series. And I, and I, I, I want to speak prophetically to some people and say, as you embark on businesses, there's some entrepreneurs in the room here. As you embark on businesses, God's going to bless what you do. Can I remind you? Can I encourage you? Can I invite you to keep a hold of your anchored, uh, an anchored theology on this, that your discipleship and your followership of Jesus depends upon what you do with that money? 
Don't lose your way when He blesses you with resource. Let's take a moment and pray. And, and I'm going to ask you to pray just where you are for yourself, like what it is that's on your heart and what's on your mind in this moment. For some of us, it might be a prayer, God, would you trust me with more? I'm going to be faithful with, 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 with what you've given me. Would you, would you grant me more? For some of us, it's God, please come through for me in my finances. You know what I need. Well, God says as you honor him, he's going to provide according to all, all your needs, according to his riches. I, I firmly believe some of you, whoa, I feel this so strong. Some of you need to have a real deep expectation that God's going to break some mindsets on money for you. Some of you have inherited, I felt this so strongly for the first service as well. Some of us, we've inherited mindsets from our parents. Um, so, some of us have even inherited po post-Second World War uh, scarcity mentality from our parents. Understandably, they, they carried that with them. Uh, but there's a, a new season and we live in a new time and God wants to do a new thing and He wants to do a new thing in your family, but it all starts with a mentality. It all starts with a mentality that He's the owner we're the steward. God wants good things for us. Our faithfulness and our fruitfulness with our money is of paramount importance. And so ask Him to, ask him to increase your mindset. Ask Him to help you leave behind a poverty mindset. For some of us, it's a courage, it's a courage, it's a courage. Some of you pray for courage in this moment. God, give me the courage to, to start to tithe. Like some of you have not settled that question, you've been wrestling with it, and you hear about it often, but you've never taken the step because it takes courage. It feels like you're stepping out of the boat into water. You're like, how is my month going to come together financially? How is the budget going to balance? Can I suggest to you and encourage you strongly in this that Jesus says, look, just honor me and the rest will fall into place. It's the only area in Scripture that God says we can test Him. Imagine that the Lord of heaven and earth says we can test Him when it comes to our money. Can I invite you as it's payday? Test Him this month. Don't wait for another month. Test Him now. Test Him this month. Put Him first. So whatever your need is, and whatever your deep desire is to be shaped over these next few weeks, ask Him for that now. I'm going to ask that we stay right where we are right now, just with with eyes closed and, and in, in a moment of prayer. And I want to read you the, one of the most wonderful texts in all of Scripture, and I pray that this will wash over you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. Just stay in prayer. Don't worry to read it. Just let it wash over you. This is Paul, one of the great passages in all of Scripture. He says, though he was God, talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. Jesus left the wealth of heaven and came to earth, 
stripped of the wealth of heaven, yet with his divinity still intact. And he came and served and loved and gave us the greatest example of any life to ever have lived. And then as perfect and sinless as he was, he went to a sinner's death and he took the punishment that was due to the human race and he hung on a cross, executed to pay the penalty for sin. And his blood was shed because it's the only agent on planet earth that could ever, ever purchase the forgiveness of our wrongdoing and our sin. That was the generosity of Jesus. And in this moment, I just have one question for some of us here in the auditorium today.